0: Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen O'Sullivan and I am the host of this show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders and experts in the field of leadership of self and others, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past potential fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence, and inspiration. We want you to be you, to be at your best, and to show up in the most authentic way. So, are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Hello and welcome, everybody. I'm not sure about you, but I have been in a situation over the last few months where I was wondering more and more about AI. And perhaps you work in a business that already applies AI quite a bit. Perhaps you are in the midst of a digital transformation with regards to AI help. Perhaps you are already an expert and then brilliant. I can't wait to hear from you and to hear a few insights and experiences as well. I am somewhere in between. I know about some tools and methods and systems quite well. And then there are others where I'm like, oh my God, I don't even know where to start. I have no clue. And how can this all evolve so, so quickly? And uh, in my group of coaches and, and colleagues I am sometimes partnering with, we had some back and forth conversations over the last few months where we were trying to get the knowledge, understanding about AI, what it means for the learning and development industry, but businesses overall, really, as we interact with so many different organizations. And what I also realized was there was a high level of excitement inside of me, and there was also a certain apprehension and nervousness that I'm still carrying. And you may be sharing some of those concerns. What is the impact of AI on people, employees, workers, in organizations? How can we make sure it's safe, What about our data? Who is going to have access to data that AI basically uses in order to deliver upon um, information, for example? And I thought, I've got to talk to somebody about this topic and really get a better understanding for AI, digital transformation, what it all means, what to pay attention to, how to lead in the midst of digital transformation, but perhaps even how to proactively bring it into organizations in order to innovate, in order to be at the forefront, in order to be far ahead of competitors as well. And here I came across Kurt Stein, who I am meeting here today and have a conversation with. And he is an IT consultant and digital transformation expert. He started several businesses and um, has grown each of them. And from his long career in technology over 25 years, really, he has seen the ups and downs of economies and companies and faced those same challenges with his own companies. He could provide insights to others, either starting out or trying to build their own organizations. And his strong belief is that coaches can quickly ramp up On learning, so they will be more proficient than they were before um, you hire them. His background, however, is to help companies solve technology challenges with top tier consultants at an affordable price. The most common responses he hears when speaking to companies is the following They don't know where to start. And those companies are overwhelmed with the fast pace of technology. And that's exactly where he and his team come in to help. He, however, began his career in technology at AT&T, working with some of the largest companies in the world. And he saw how they maintained their superiority in their industries to using the best IT staff and technology. Their investment in technology gave them the edge. And he was delivering results for his clients, but he also wanted more. So after 16 years at AT AT&T, he decided to leave and to start his own firm, Vista Tech Solutions. This was a major turning point in his career as he was now responsible for building and growing a company from scratch. And as a trusted advisor, he was able to guide companies through their transformations and help them achieve their goals. After nine years of successfully growing Vista Tech Solutions, he noticed a recurring theme amongst his clients. They needed expert guidance and consulting on how to digitally transform their businesses. And that was his eureka moment. His partner and Kurt himself decided to start a new venture, and that's DCT Strategy, Inc., and that's where we come in today into this conversation to really understand what it is they offer, how they help organizations master this digital transformation and master leadership in this day and age as well. So before I go on talking you loads about the episode, why don't we just have a listen uh, into it? And you may notice at the end of it, I really believe we should actually continue this conversation. So if you feel the same and you say, I want to know more about it, I want to go deeper, then do let us know. Send me a message to cmc at Merkelcoaching.com. Share your feedback on Apple Podcasts as well, so that we know as to whether there is a hunger for more, what questions you may have, and how uh, we can offer you even more value next time. But now, over to Kurt. Enjoy the episode. Hello, hello. Welcome.
1: Hello, Kathleen.
0: How are you today?
1: Doing very well. Doing very well. Yourself?
0: Yeah, I am actually also doing very well. I just have around 48 hours to go. Not that anybody is counting until we take a bit of time off as a family and chill out. And no, honestly, I can't wait. <laughs> so, and how long,
1: yeah. you, how long are you taking off for?
0: Well, we are. That's a difficult question. Um, we're taking off two weeks now. And then we will be back for a week and then we are going to take another around 10 days off. So, um, yeah, as as a freelancer and business owner, I often try to take August off and really have like no work time being with the family. And that's it. This year, we structured it ever so slightly to make sure we spend time in different countries where different parts of our families are. So that's the long answer to a very short story.
1: It's it's wonderful. I, I I wish I took more advantage of that, which I, I it's on my bucket list to start taking more time off, especially in the summertime <laughs> and to go see things.
0: So. so so what are your plans this year? Are you going away at all or spending some off off time with the family?
1: Uh, you know, it's little things here and there. Mm. So my daughter, one of my daughters is in lacrosse. So it was that tournament. It did, tournaments just ended this weekend. She's happy that you know there aren't any tournaments right now. It was a lot of driving. Like yesterday, I drove almost three hours. Uh, it was at the Hershey, Pennsylvania, I had a whole bunch of tournaments, and I didn't stay over. I drove there on Saturday and drove there on Sunday because we had things to do. Uh, but it was that. And then, uh, my wife and I are making a trip out to Montana in, in August, and we're actually going to see uh, the set of Yellowstone. With uh, Cole Hauser and and the crew, so we're doing that the weekend of Labor Day, mm-hmm. and aside from that, it's little it's little excursions. It's not the two weeks which, you know, it's fun. If I if I went away for two weeks, th- there's two sides of me. There's one is sitting on a beach doing nothing. It's very hard to do, but the second part of it is I don't want to come back more exhausted than when I went. So it's how do you find that fine balance between going away, having fun, but not exhausting yourself and then needing a vacation from your vacation. So yeah. <laughs> we're going to have little weekend excursions here and there. That's what we're going to do.
0: Yeah, it sounds wonderful. And in my pre-questionnaire, you also wrote, I like to be spontaneous yes. um, with the kids, with the family in general. And I yeah. think that's a really lovely way of being as well. You know, leave this space for spontaneity.
1: Yeah, like an example of that is, we went, we drove from New Jersey, drove out to Pennsylvania to go look at a summer camp for two of our kids. And we, we were going to put them in uh summer camp for a month. And on the way back, we passed by a indoor water park called Kalahari. And we drove by and I was like, oh, look at this place. And we stopped in and go get something to eat. And then we booked for the following weekend to go to Kalahari. And we had an absolute blast. Yeah. So it's something I just, I didn't think, hey, let's go to an indoor water park. It was the spontaneous side of, oh, that's pretty cool. Let's go do it. And that's what we do as well. If we're heading somewhere, we'll find something. And I'm like, oh, wow, we should go do that. And, and that's kind of how we do. Or we just get in the car and say, let's go do something. Let's go figure it out.
0: Loving this. I want to be more like you, Kurt, when it comes to being spontaneous. I think I used to be a little bit more than I am now. So I need to get back to, to well, the old days.
1: I, I know. So so my wife and I balance each other out. I'm the spontaneous while well, she's spontaneous, but she likes to plan.
0: Yeah.
1: So I'll be like, Hey, here's the spontaneous idea. Let's go do it. And she's like, hold up. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's look at the room arrangements. Look at where we should stay. <laughs> let's look at this. And I'm like, Oh, we'll go figure it out. But, you know, I guess that's the, the men and women's side of let's go do things. So uh, I think the planning works and, you know, spontaneous is, you know, sometimes it's, uh, it's not the right thing to do. You should go plan it. I mean, look, you're you're traveling around countries. I'm sure you're going to find something spontaneous to do. So,
0: Oh, totally. We are actually going to be rebels from time to time and just leave some space open and say, let's see where we stay once we are there. Uh, We figure it out. So that's the nice side of it as well. We don't always need to plan everything through. Just know where are we going to first. And that's enough.
1: Yeah, you get to experience cool things like you never would have experienced before. So I, I, exactly. I agree.
0: Exactly. And you have done a lot of that in your past, experience cool things, not necessarily always in the planned way. However, we are going to delve into that. The first cool thing that you have experienced that I would like to touch up on is that you have mentioned three kids, but in total, you're have five, haven't you?
1: Yes which yes. is
0: pretty cool in itself.
1: Uh, some people may not think so. <laughs> I think it's cool.
0: <laughs> well, if I look at the list of all the things you do, you are responsible for uh, that give you pleasure, that includes five kids, that includes having a wife. I look at my sheet here. Black belt at 41, take one dough. Um you run your own business, uh, you ski every winter, you work out on a regular basis. And I have no doubt there's actually more to that list. I don't think that's all, cut, And we will figure that out here today. How do you do that? How do you make sure you make time for yourself, which in itself is for me leadership, I look after myself, all the stuff I enjoy, I'm passionate about?
1: It is not easy. So I mean, I, I watch a lot of people that that do that as well, and they say everything they accomplish within a day. It's not easy. It, it is true in life. Something has to give, right? There's only so much time for things to do. So you do have to prioritize what makes sense and what doesn't. And then there are things that I would love to do, but I, I just, you know, it's something has to give. So So an example is that, you know, there's other things I would have done this past weekend, but it was important for my daughter to play in a lacrosse tournament and possibly get a scholarship to college. And it was something for her. So you sacrifice something you want to do in order to help her out. So how do I find the time? Well, I don't watch a lot of TV. I used to, I don't anymore. And what I mean, I used to is COVID everybody watched TV during COVID. <laughs> I mean, and there were some other things we did we went outside and you know, did some work around the house, but after that, it's, I don't have the time to watch TV. I, I run out of time. Like given an hour or two to something is an hour or two, I could be doing something else. So I cut out TV. Sports, I don't watch sports. I mean, I love sports, but I don't have the time to dedicate to that. Given time to martial arts is not easy. I did it. You know, I was actually, when I got my black belt, I was actually working in the corporate world. I was working at AT&T at the time. And I'd been there for a very long time. So it was very easy to carve out you know the time at night, but it still wasn't easy. I I go to class at eight o'clock at night. It was eight o'clock to ten o'clock at night. I'd come home, you know, all just jazzed up because they they make you work a lot and try to get you know try to go to sleep. But now it's I took on after doing that. I went to jujitsu, and jujitsu is not easy because during the week I can't get there, so I have to go on the weekends, and I always feel like I'm not I, I'm not achieving enough by only going on on weekends. So there's that. And then working out, I have to do in the morning. So I have to get up at 5 a.m. I have to get up at 4 30 a.m. to go to the gym. Because if I don't do that, then uh, putting it off till later in the day never happens. Because look, you, you get, you know, work is done at 5 30, 6 o'clock. Sometimes I'm working to 8 o'clock at night. So I can't go to the gym. My children, you know, people need to eat, right? So you have to make dinner. You can't order out all the time because. You know, people go broke when you, <laughs> you can. Indeed. You can't just get out all the time, right? For five, you know, seven people in the family, you, yeah. you, it becomes extremely expensive. You know, what would be, you know, eighty bucks or a hundred bucks to one family is three hundred dollars to my family. So, it's uh, it's a different scenario. Not that we don't go out, but you can't do that every day. And then my children are the youngest is five, the oldest is seventeen. So you look at that span. The five-year-old has her needs. And as you start moving up, I dropped off the 14-year-old at, at, she's working in a summer camp. Uh, the 17-year-old is working. So they're all going different directions and you have to you have to accommodate that along with everything else in your schedule. So so that's a long answer to, I don't even know how I do it. <laughs> and there's so much more I would like to do myself. I just don't have the time. I don't have the time to do it. And, and then on top of it, I'm also trying to guide the children in a way to get them to uh, take on things that they typically wouldn't take on. Like, you know, we pushed her to do lacrosse. So she's, it's how do you make her better? I I try to take the younger kids to the gym, especially in the summertime. I try to get them to go with me. The 13 and 14 year old, they love doing it, you know, know, weight training. And, you know, some people may agree with that. Others may not, but they love it. They enjoy it. And it's like, you know, this is giving them a little taste of what they could do you know, as they get older and and maybe enjoy something. And then the younger kids, it's like, how do I take them out to experience things? They want to go to the park all the time. Mm. That's all they care about, the park, or they want to go to the beach and go play on swings, right? It's, that's what they want to do. So again, the, the long answer is it's time management. It's not easy. Uh, there's a lot of things I wish I could do but I can't. And some days are better than others. Some days work is just too much and and something has to give and the kids can't. You know, I I can't, I can't get to do some certain things with them. I wish I could or myself.
0: How would you feel and be if you weren't able to go to the gym and, you know, follow your own exercise regime?
1: So, so the fun thing about age is it reminds you that you need to go. What do I mean by that? I had injuries when I was younger from going to the gym. I hurt my shoulder once because somebody didn't spot me when they should have. And I hurt myself. You know, I've hurt my back after I hurt my back at work. What I've noticed is when I don't work out, all those injuries start coming to the surface again. My shoulder starts aching, uh, my back starts bothering me, uh, my knee starts hurting. You know, it's it's a it's a great reminder that if I don't go, I start hurting. Now, when I go and I prevent myself from you know having those nagging injuries. Then it just becomes a I accomplished something today. It's like one of the things that I accomplished today, and then also I'm doing it for so I could be around a little bit longer for my kids. I'm 50. I turned 51 on Wednesday. I still think I'm 30. <laughs> I, I in my mind I can't believe yeah. when I say 50. I, I I can't believe it. Especially I'm very active. That I know that I have to keep doing it because as you get older, just life has a way of telling you that. Your body doesn't react the same way. Maybe you make less testosterone. Maybe your muscles don't repair as quickly. Your body wants to naturally just get rid of muscle mass and maybe save it for other things. And I'm I'm trying to force my body to go the opposite direction. So, so it's a couple of things. It's one, it is almost meditative. You're in there, you're doing something for yourself. You're getting that work done. So physically you tire yourself out because at work you mentally tire yourself out. So if you're just mentally tired and not physically tired, you know, it keeps you up at night. So it's, it's, I'm trying to find that balance there Two is I'm trying to keep myself strong three at those nagging injuries. And four, I feel like I accomplished something that day. And it's a, it's a check in the box of something positive.
0: First of all, I was giggling when you said, I feel like a 30 year old, not like a 51 year old. And I appreciate you're not 51 just yet Yep. because it is what you mentioned is so appropriate for this conversation because I'm so curious about technology and age and all the biases we have around it. So I had a little giggle about that. And in all honesty, I love hearing people say, I don't feel like 50 or whatever the age is. I'm still in my twenties or thirties when it comes to my mindset and have this real eager interest to remain young. And we do that in all sorts of different ways. But I have a very similar goal and um, it keeps me alive. It keeps me feeling alive, you know, and it's, it's beautiful and it helps you expand this growth mindset and to keep learning and to be curious and it's needed in particular in the environment you are working in, I could believe, and we are going to be talking about that in a moment as well. However, Overall, the way I got to know you so far when reading about you in our last conversation, even this first minutes that we spent here together, I get this feeling that you are highly driven. Yes. You want to achieve whatever yes. that means to you. What is it that drives you?
1: <laughs> ah. Which drives me. Yeah, I don't want to be cliche. I, I don't want, I don't want it to come across and sound like it's it's not being authentic, but it is. I, I I believe it's in you. I think it's innate, number one. I've always been that way. I've always wanted to, I've always set my mind to something and I wanted to accomplish it. That didn't mean I always accomplished it, right? I, I would like take for instance working out. I would have loved to do, you know, higher weights squatting. My body just doesn't allow me to do it. But it didn't mean I didn't try. So the drive is, I've thought about this a lot. It's, it's me. And I think, you, I think you can create it. I think you can develop it within you. Uh, maybe it comes back to the fact that I'm a realistic optimist. I, I believe that if you, if you believe in something, you put the effort in, and, and you work hard toward whatever it is, that goal, you can either achieve that goal or get pretty darn close to achieving that goal. But it comes back to some of those things you're taught as a child. You know, you stick with things. You put your mind to it, right? You you work on it. You try to improve yourself. So it has to be, you know, within me. It's always been within me. I I, I love asking a lot of questions, and I, I'm very competitive. Yeah, I, I never really thought about this until, until you asked me. I want to win. I want to achieve something. I and by the way, what I but I mean by winning is it's not like you know, I have to win selling something. And then I, I look at that as a win. That's, that's, not, that's not how I grade it in my mind. I probably grade it from the perspective of learning something that, I, that I'm able to understand a topic or a subject, and then I'm able to explain it to somebody. I, I said to a lot of the people on my team, if somebody can't explain something to you as if you're a four-year-old, then they really don't understand the topic. You don't have to throw a lot of big words around in order to explain it. You can explain what a car is to a four-year-old without explaining how the engine works, right? Yes. Or how the pistons fire. You don't. You don't have to explain all that to explain how a, how a car works. So, probably curiosity for me is learning a subject, understanding it, and then being able to explain it and teach it to somebody else. I believe that's a win for me. I've I've won. In a sale, if I could provide a solution to somebody that solves their problem and I could genuinely see that they're happy with that, with that solution, it's a win for me. I feel like I achieved something. That is that is the drive for me. If something's not going well, I don't give up. I want to break things down into its smaller pieces and solve that problem. So so I mean, I still feel that it's a drive. And when I have a really, really bad day, because everybody has bad days. I look at the positive within that day. Is there something I learned from that situation that I can now adapt and change and work into a a scenario going forward? So it could be anything, you know, a customer come back and say, you didn't explain this to me. Well, you know, that's shame on me. I should have, I should have realized that. So instead of taking it as a direct attack on me and like, no, you don't know what you're talking about. That's not the way it is. Right. Right. It's wow, that's interesting. If that's their perspective, perhaps I didn't do a good job on that. Let me do better on the next time or over the next customer. I'll explain that now. I'll work that into my routine. I'll sharpen the axe, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so so really long answer is the drive is within me. i I like to just continue to self improve. and I think that goes back to your point earlier, curiosity, self-improvement, keeping your brain sharp. I think that keeps you young as well. playing around with technologies, finding out what's going on out there. So those things, I think, keep me aware and open. But I think, as I said, probably three or four times, I think the drive is within somebody. But I think I think others can create it. It's like happiness. I think happiness is a choice. I think you could choose to be happy. I think you can choose to have a drive as well. It's Is that important to you? So to be happy, you can have an absolute horrible day. You can get into a car accident. You can find out that uh, you lost your job. You could find out that you don't have a lot of money in your bank account. And you have, you have two choices in that day. You could choose to say, my day is the worst day it ever possibly could have been. And you could walk around and be miserable, get in arguments with people and tell the world about how horrible your day is. Or you could turn around and say, I still have my health. I still have a tremendous amount of knowledge from the job I was in. I'm going to you know get my car fixed, go refresh my resume, and I'm going to go out and put my best foot forward. And perhaps I'll land myself another job. So I think it's all, it's all in your mind and you can, you know, you can manifest certain things. I think you can manifest drive as well. Mm. Is that the answer you're looking for?
0: I wasn't looking for a particular answer. I'm curious about your answer. (laughs) How You see it or I have an opinion on what you were saying. I think to the last point, I'm probably somewhere in between. I believe in the power of living the emotions in the moment so if you have a really, really crap day or experience, you're like, this was bad. You lost your job, whatever it was. You do have no money in the bank account and you didn't expect that to happen. Live through these emotions for a moment. Feel them, sit with them, let them out. Because there's a risk from my perspective of suppressing all of this. And at some point it's gonna implode, it's coming out. And then move on. Now work through it move on and do absolutely the manifestation work and and make some deliberate choices. Yeah. Sometimes it's more straightforward than other times, right? The key is how can we move forward? Yep. And what have we learned from the experience?
1: Yeah, I, I guess I released them. Yeah. I don't know how I released it at times. Maybe I go to the gym. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's, that's why good. I did martial arts. You know, I kind of get that that stress out. No, I agree with that point. You do have to let it out. I think when people bottle it up, it becomes, you become a very angry person. You you can't bottle that up. You got to get rid of it.
0: Mm, Agreed. What I'm very curious about is to learn about AI from a perspective of a four-year-old <laughs> to understand the entire sphere of AI. Because that's what we are here to discuss today. And that's what really drew me to you right away when I read about your knowledge and expertise in the tech environment. And I remember our first conversation when I said to you, I sometimes can't keep up. And I'm in my early 40s. And I'm like, Boza. it takes me quite a bit of focus and energy to invest in and to make sure I understand what's coming and what's out there at the moment. So I'm really looking forward to hearing a little bit more about you, the work you're doing together with your team, your expertise, and how that all connects to leadership as well. So first of all, Kurt, give perhaps the listener a little bit of an overview into the world you are operating and What's the business and what are the services you offer to your clients?
1: Sure, sure. So, So after a long career, I have two companies now. And the company I formed is called DCT Strategy, Inc. It's a consulting company that's focused on digital transformation with a specialty in artificial intelligence. So what does that mean? I have, I mean, it is leadership from my side. I am technical, but I'm not a data scientist, right? So I have data scientists that all they do is work within artificial intelligence. They build models. That's what they do. I come from a leadership side of running teams, running consultants, and I understand everything from an overall perspective. And then the tactical aspect goes to the consultants. So I have teams of consultants that work in all different specialties, AI, they work in internet of things, IoT, they work in digital maturity, they work in network architecture, software architecture. So our company is to provide The tools to other companies in order to understand how to transform their business from a digital transformation perspective to deal with how this world is changing. But more specifically, from AI, is how to form a business strategy, an AI strategy, and then the technical side of how do you technically implement AI into your business to be more competitive? That's in its simplest forms. And I have built a team of, I now have 10 data scientists that support customers. And what we do is we come into businesses and we do a quick assessment and we show them, here's what it looks like from your environment. This is what your environment looks like today. Do you need to improve anything? Do you need to add anything? Do you need to increase on the cybersecurity side to make sure there are no risks? We look at their their internal data and make sure that things are clean. And I'll go into a little bit more of what that is and why that's important. And then we talk through AI what does it mean? How do you implement it into your business? What would it look like? What are some solutions that would work best for you? And then we give them a roadmap. We literally build out the map from saying, here's where you are today. This is what you need to go to this state and we can help you implement it. And this is how long it's going to take. That's everything in a little long short version, but it's, but it's short and sweet.
0: All clear now, Kurt. Thank you so much for the conversation. Brilliant. <laughs> Sounds so easy. I already got a little bit distracted in my internal dialogue with the question about when do I know as an MD, as a CEO of a business, that there's something else we need to do when it comes to digital transformation, in particular AI? When would I start to say, Kurt, you and your team, you've got to come into our business and help us?
1: Yeah. So, so there's, there was a saying. um, I think Warren Buffett actually said it. He said every day a manager comes into their business and their job is to cut costs or look at improving the business. Mm -hmm. And if you look at any business out there, including a CEO, CEO is thinking about strategy. Where's the business going in the future? They're trying to see what's, you know, if you look at a curve in a road, they're trying to see what's beyond that curve because I don't want to hit it or I don't want to go off a bridge or... I don't want to hit into a wall. I want to be able to adjust and understand where things are. So to answer your question, every business, every MD, everybody has to be aware of what's happening out there, how things are changing. And they have to have a better understanding of how that technology is going to change their business. And they actually have to start looking at it now or yesterday or tomorrow. Mm -hmm. They should do it sooner rather than later. And that that goes for everything. We're We're going to talk a little bit about AI. But take anything for, for, for an example, take somebody when cars began, if somebody wasn't thinking about, oh, you know, I like to ride horses. I love to ride horses. That's how my business was created is being with horses. I love horses. That's great. If you fall in love with that aspect of your business, you can be caught you're, you know, flat footed, right? You are blindsided by, by changes. If your competition comes along and says, that's great. We love horses too, but these cars go faster than horses and we don't have to feed them. <laughs> right? then that your competitor is going to say, hey, let's try this out in our business. They're going to implement it. And then you're going to be looking back saying, oh God, uh, I was caught flat-footed. Now my competitors are innovating and now I have to catch up. So really the message to to anybody is, especially when it comes to AI, it's like the internet. If you're not learning about it now, that doesn't mean you have to implement it right now. This isn't a, a fear of missing out moment, a FOMO moment. It is, but it is a clear moment that you need to pay attention to it now. You need to take notice because your competitors are looking at all these technologies and they're trying to find out how they're going to implement it in their business because frankly, they want to take more of the competition, more of the customers from you, if possible. That's just what they do every day. So every day they're waking up trying to find how can they innovate their business? How can they cut costs? How can they improve things? And if you're not doing so, then you're going to be faced with a moment that um, might be too late.
0: And I think that leads us so beautifully to the topic around innovation. I work on a day-to-day basis as well with different organizations and clients. And innovation is always a bit of a discussion point. There are some organizations who say, innovation, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. Others say, innovation is about Try new things, staying up to date, seeing where there's space for improvement of efficiencies, and so on and so forth. Others who say, for me, it's all about experimenting and seeing how we can do things. I don't know, um, in a more efficient way, uh, perhaps differently, save resources, whatever it is. Long story short, what does innovation mean to you?
1: So, so another quote from. Another quote from Mark Randolph, the founder of one of the founders of Netflix. If you don't disrupt your business, somebody else will come along and disrupt it for you. So disruption could be a lot of things. I believe as a leader of any business, this doesn't mean that I know something more about your business than you do. You could be in the car part business for 25 years. You know everything about that business. That doesn't mean I know every aspect of that business. But one thing I do know is that you have to look at that business, like you said a little bit earlier. What can I do that increases productivity? What can I do that's going to increase my customer uh, experience? Mm-hmm. How do I cut costs? And how do I use technology to do so? So, from my perspective, it is looking at every business every day and thinking, is there a better way for me to do this? Number two is, Should I be working on this or should somebody else, where is my time better implemented in a different area than what I'm doing right now? And you you don't have to necessarily recreate the wheel, but you certainly have to look at it and say, how can I implement technology within my business and get a better customer experience out of that? And this is going to be a longer answer because what's happening now is... Technology is advancing so quickly right now. It's not like it used to be in the past. Things were being released over time and people were able to slowly adapt to it. When the internet came out, people were able to adapt to it over time. It wasn't, if you don't get on the internet, you're going to be out of business. It it wasn't that. It became that over time and companies innovated and went on the internet and became massive, powerful companies. But I think now is... Innovation is happening so quickly that you have no choice leading a business or being in a business than paying attention to everything that comes out because somebody else is going to come along and take that technology and innovate much quicker. Mm-hmm. Let me give you an example. A lot of people spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. People spend time on Twitter. I didn't spend a lot of time on Twitter, but now Instagram and Meta, you know, old Facebook, just released threads mm-hmm. as a competitor to LinkedIn. Well, AI, ChatGPT, got 100 million users in two months. That was mind-boggling in terms of the amount of people I jumped on. In Threads, I think they did it in six, day, six days. Right. So now everybody's jumping on Threads and they're trying mm-hmm. to find a way to use Threads to drive their business because perhaps it didn't work so much on Instagram or they couldn't drive it on Twitter because they were too late to the game. But now they're big. On Threads, and they're trying to drive their business from there. I hear JLo Lo and Backstreet Boys are pretty big on Threads. Well, I mean, I I don't think they were that big on on Instagram, but then again, I I, I weren't really following much of that. But that's a, that's a specific example to any leader. Take technology. Take somebody that was big on one platform. A new platform comes out, and now they're you know they're leading from that perspective. That doesn't mean that they're going to be the leader forever, but. They're doing some some great things on there. And what are, they, what are they going to attract? They're going to attract eyeballs and they're going to attract more future customers. So come back to that, that question. We're now in a stage now of the next generation up and coming. What we call it Gen Z. Yes, They're up and coming, graduating from high school, coming into college, coming out of college. They all grew up with the iPhone. I got an iPhone when it first came out, right? we were talking about 2005. They, that's all they've ever known. They expect things to be instant. They expect certain responses. They're expecting a certain experience. And what's going to be unfortunate is if leaders aren't catering to that up and coming generation, which is going to become the generation that's spending the most, most money. I think they've stated by 2030, 2040, Gen Z is going to surpass the baby boomers in terms of Spending, well, that's your future customer. And that future customer loves technology. And that future customer is going to expect for you to innovate.
0: And it's not just the future customer, as you highlighted. It's the future talent. I read somewhere in a study that by 2030, um, 30% of the global workforce will be Gen Z. Growing up with technology, as you've just highlighted. Now, from a leadership perspective, and that's only one element. I can't wait to hear a few more elements from your end. If you, as a leader, rely on your seniority or experience, you know it all, and not involving people from different experiences, different age groups, and so on and so forth, you will be very challenged very soon. Yes. So you better get off that hierarchical ego status and move towards how can we truly collaborate and how can we truly learn from another cross-borders. And boundaries, because they have no place in this world, from my perspective.
1: I, I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. I'll give you my own specific example. I didn't know what Discord was. I had no idea what Discord was. It's what a decentralized. It? It's a decentralized platform that kids are on to have set up their little communities, little rooms, and they can talk to one another and put stuff up there. And but it's decentralized in in the sense that. It's not Instagram. That's centralized. That's a centralized platform. It's decentralized in the sense that anybody could put up a Discord channel and then bring people to them, and then they can create a new one. It's called a server. They could put up their own server and do things. I had no idea what Discord was. You know how I found out? Thank I found you. it out from my 16-year-old daughter, who's now 17. Yeah. I didn't know anything about it. That's Gen Z. I didn't know. And now I see a lot of people are starting to use it uh, in business, that doesn't mean everybody's going to use it in business, but they're using it. And it goes back to your point about diversity. And everybody has a different idea of what diversity means. Diversity of thought. And that's what I, I like to think of it from a diversity of thought standpoint. Go back to your point. Leaders got to be smart enough to know that they don't know everything. As a leader, I think it's more beneficial to be curious and to surround yourself with a lot of highly intelligent people And then have diversity within your teams, diversity of thought, giving you things, not being afraid to talk to you about what it is that's on their mind. I think it's probably one of the worst things in the business to have a bunch of yes, men and yes, women. Yes, all the time. Yes, you're right. Because they're afraid of getting fired or they're afraid you're going to be upset or afraid that you're going to not like them and not promote them. No, I surround myself with people that tell me, where are my blind spots? What am I not seeing? What should I be looking at? That doesn't mean I have to necessarily agree with them, but if they're bringing things to me, bringing diversity of thought to me, then I get to see what's actually happening out there. So go back to my earlier comment. I like the thing of I'm driving down the road and it's curving up ahead. I don't know what's up there. Nobody knows what's ahead in the curve. Nobody knows what's going to happen next, but I'm trying, to, I'm trying to give myself enough information and enough facts and enough data inputs that I'm able to make the best decisions I possibly can without feeling like I'm blind. And I believe that diversity of thought brings you there, it brings you to innovation, it brings you to changing how your business is. It allows you to speak to the next generation, have a lot of that generation in there coming to you, tell them what they're thinking of. Because at the end of the day, no matter who we are, we sell to customers and those end consumers, we have to understand how they think.
0: And again, that leads me nicely into this whole topic around talent. You know, not just which is an important part, proactively leading Gen Z when they are in our business, but attracting them is a completely different story, because Gen Z. um, Again, I I read uh, look at purpose, real impact in their work, flexibility, work wherever you can, and flexible hours, and so on and so forth, and community right? Having a sense of belonging, openness, lack of status as such in terms of hierarchical barriers and whatnot. Now, I need to start as an organization to talk about how we are, what our culture is, how we operate, and to speak to that narrative. But I wonder from your experience working in that space of tech in particular, what do leaders, what do organizations really got to do in order to get these bright I don't want to sound condescending, but young talents on board.
1: Yeah, well, you 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 actually said it, and I've been talking about it for a while too. The CEO's job is strategy, right? Is to think about what's next, to steer their company to the future, and tr- and try to see where where the problems lie or where they believe things are. And and as a CEO role, it is a lonely. It's a lonely place to be. Well, the, any founder, any CEO, everything falls on your shoulders. If you're wrong, you pay the price. Yeah. If you're right, you pay the price. Right? I mean, it's a it's a lonely place, but you're you're constantly thinking about how do I get there. And you could surround yourself with everybody you want, but at the end of the day, you don't want to make those decisions. So, from a talent perspective, how CEOs have to think is what we just talked about. It's looking at your workforce and having a, a true assessment of your particular industry your workforce what is it what's the demographic what is it made up of today and what does it need to be in the future so an example like, like take take construction a lot of people that are in construction are in their 40s and up I mean that's the larger part of the demographic that makes up that workforce they need to bring in the next generations of the workforce. And then you have all that talent that's in the the older generation, the the masters, the master carpenters, the master electricians. They have all that knowledge and talent that they have to pass down. You go back to what you said, impact, flexibility, community, technology. That's what they care about. And and I've said this before uh, to some other folks. It's If you say to, you have to make your company look like it's a place they want to be. It's got to be cool. It's got to have the latest tech. It doesn't have to. The, the, it doesn't have to be the cutting edge technology. It doesn't have to be a you. You're cre- You're inventing something. While that's cool, you know, co- kids will go to those companies. That's where they'll go to Meta. That's why they'll go to startup companies because it's cool. It's cutting edge. That's where they want to go. But in legacy companies you'll have to implement technology that kids want to be involved in. They'll want to have a community CRM like Slack or or something from that perspective teams that they can all collaborate with one another. They'll want to have the latest when it comes to devices, iPhones or Samsung or something of that nature. They'll want to know that the latest technologies are there that you have you're using teams or you're using Google workforce or something of that nature where you have SharePoint and and it makes their job easier they understand how to work within that environment they're going to want to know that if they want to add something else on to the business that makes their job easier you could do it like that so if it's desk IP phones you can implement it really quick uh, if they want to work from home you could take their environment from the office and put it at home and it's no different than being in the office or being at home they're going to want to know that when it comes to AI, that you are doing things that are going to increase productivity and make their jobs easier. And I say all this because it goes back to your point. The next generation is looking at it saying, if you're not providing me flexibility, right. And I know a lot of companies are struggling with that right now, when it comes to yeah. work at home, yeah. they're dealing with that, right. They, they're struggling with that. If you have flexibility in terms of, you know, is it working from home? Is it not working from home? Is it technology? Impact. I know they all want to have an impact on, the community. They want to have an impact on, are they, are they creating something? Are they making the world a better place? I know they think about that a lot as well. And then community, they want to feel like they're part of something and they're contributing to something and, and they go into a place that's nice to work at. If leaders aren't looking at it saying, I need to have the latest technology. I need to lead from the top and make sure that I'm building a community. I want to make it a place where they want to come. They could draw in draw in talent because I have the latest technology I am working in a great company I do have flexibility when it comes to working from home or not I have great benefits and maybe I'm adding things on there like I have a softball team or or we're doing uh what is it now it's um it's a cross between tennis and paddleball it's called um uh, pickleball yeah. pickle I know ball?
0: I know what you mean but I, c- I can't remember the name for it but I know know yeah.
1: where we are going. I think it's pickleball or something like that. I I just, I'm messing up, but there's huge leagues now. And I know companies are actually forming those little leagues. So (laughs) softball leagues, those, you know, those leagues, you know, things to make it where people are going out and spending time with one another after work and getting that community feel right. Mm -hmm. That is something important that CEOs need to be thinking about because in the past, people would just go to the factories and the industries and do their job, clock in, clock out and go home. Right. And, Great. And then it's slowly changed over time, and people can pick up and go anywhere they want. They can go to any company they want. They can vote with their feet. I don't want to work at this company anymore. I'll go work at Company X over there because they give me a free iPhone or they have all this cool technology. My friend works there. It's got a lot of work from home hours, and they got all the greatest and newest technology and makes my job so much easier. Well, frankly, they all talk to one another and then they leave and they go where it is. So the, the again, the long answer is, what do leaders have to think about? In order to think about impact, flexible community, they have to think about these things. They have to make it a place that people want to come to. And naturally that will draw in the talent as well. If you're stodgy, if you don't change, if uh, your processes haven't changed, then what people are going to do internally is they're going to start talking about it and they're going to say, I can't believe we're doing this this way. There's such a better way of doing it. And we do it like this and it costs so much money. And I don't know why we don't change I don't think they know what's going on and then they quit. That's tough for a leader.
0: Yeah. And there are two things I keep observing. The first one is they do quit and I'm highly, highly generalizing. I do appreciate that, but I would say that even me, and I'm not a Gen C um, talent at all, but I, feel free to quit whenever I want to, because I feel there are so many options and possibilities out there. It isn't like my parents experience it. They are both still in the workforce. and for them, it has been like you are in one role in one organization for your whole life because then you are secure and then you get good pension and then you get that and that. It isn't like that for us anymore. And the world feels open and global and and free. Again, highly generalizing, right? Um, So that's number one. And number two, and I've experienced that only last week again, where somebody said to me, I just got promoted. It looks like a really great role from the outside. I'm not enjoying it. I don't feel fulfilled in it. I don't think it meets my technical capabilities. And actually, I know exactly what this space is where I'm really good and where I can contribute the most. People become more aware of what really gives them pleasure and where they can do their best work. So they will be paying attention to that and trying to find a way to get to that space where they find fulfillment in their work as well. Hopefully that's not by changing organizations right away, but it could be. Yeah. So, just assuming people will always stay with you because you pay well, I not quite work hard, and I do from time to time still experience organisations where there's a high fear culture and people are not leaving because they are fearful. They have maybe gotten all their golden handcuffs. Will I get the same thing when I move on and so on and so forth? Yes, that exists as well, absolutely. But we've got to think a little bit more future orientated.
1: Yes, yeah, you you summed it up well. It's it used to be everybody worked in a factory. everybody worked in a mine. Every worked in this company, the car company, mm-hmm. and then over time things changed, and people lost their jobs, and that that security aspect was no longer existing. Yeah. And then I went into the into the uh, corporate world. I actually, I started in 1990 at UPS. That was the corporate world, but it was a little bit different. I mm-hmm. started at ATT T in 1998, and as soon as I started, that's when ATT T went through an enormous layoff. It was uh, it was a package back then where they. They gave people something like four years of their salary and they bought them all out of their packages. And it was the first and last time that ever happened at AT AT&T. And what people learned was, wow, this is, it's not like it used to be. You don't get a job somewhere and stay forever. And if you just look at the news media now from 1998 on, it's always been the case. You've seen layoffs time and time again. And then you get people saying, oh, but look at the CEO. They're making more and more money, but people are getting fired. And you, you see that happening out there. And Gen Z grew up in that. They grew up in their parents saying, oh, yeah, you know, really, you gotta, you, you can't keep the same job. You have to build up your talent and stuff in order to go different places because it's not like it used to be. It's not like, oh, you get one job and stay there forever. It's not like that anymore. And that's what parents were telling their kids. So they came up with that mentality. So now a leader of an organization is now trying, if they're trying to work against that culture, they're not going to win. They have to move with that culture and understand that they do need to make it a special place to the best of their ability. Some people may not be the right fit no matter no matter what. It's just a wrong fit, and that's okay. But you try to make it the best environment you can and try to bring in that diversity of thought. Allow people to share thoughts back. Let's go on that one. The corporate world likes to put out a lot of surveys and ask people what their thoughts are. And you know people fill that out, and they don't believe it's ever read. Like, ah, it doesn't mean anything. We just fill it out nothing's going to change. But how about in smaller companies that have the ability to actually say, you know what, we're going to we're going to change. We may not change everything you think of, but we took this idea and we think that's something that we may want to try out. So something within digital trends transformation, there's some building blocks of digital transformation. And majority of that is people have to change in order to change a company, transform companies. People have to change too. Things have to change. And one of the things they kind of build up is shared customer insights. And they build teams saying, let's get people from different parts of the company, from finance, HR, sales, you know, uh, maintenance, whatever it may be, get people to come in and build teams. And let's talk to our customers and find out what our customers want. You could do the same thing within your company and say, find out what people want, what they like, what they don't like. Let's build little teams now. And then let's test this out in going back to what you you said before, experimenting. Let's make little mini experimental pods or teams saying, let's take an idea from somebody. Let's shoot it around of all of us. And let's see, is this possible? Can we do it? And will it have an impact, a beneficial impact to our company? And I think that's something that leaders of a company can do. You may... Look, they can come up with a hundred ideas. People could say, hey, we should always work at home. And you're like, but that's never going to work, right? Or I think you should give everybody, you know, three months off, you know, okay, great. That's not going to work, right? You throw those things out. But what about somebody that comes back and says, I think we've been doing this wrong the whole time. And I think that if we change this in our processes, we would have, a, our customers would be happy. Maybe you're making a part and it has a lot of defects, And every time they receive it, it's a defect and the customers are sending it back. Well, the customer is going to be upset. If we change this in the process, we'll have less defects. We'll have less upset customers. And now our customers won't. They'll get their product and they'll talk well about us. Well, if you found that out from your internal team, that may be something that saves you money, improves the customer experience. And now you have customers that are raving about you as opposed to you believe you're doing everything right because that's the way you've always done it before. And then your customers are upset with you. And then you wonder why your business is slowly dying.
0: There are a few points and two questions that I have with them. I hope I keep them all mine. But the, the points I'm trying to make is I keep asking myself why not so many organizations are doing that uh, talking to their customers about digital transformation, tech change. I just came off working with an organization who are going through a huge digital transformation having an impact on the customer customers are like what's going on here where's my key person go to person gone why am I talking to a machine and so on and so forth like who has ever talked to the people before you know you are all customers using technology as well I love going into onto a customer service um, page and then being connected on WhatsApp to talk to somebody very quickly while I'm on the way somewhere I don't need to have one go to person all the time so Happy to talk about my experience, but are you doing that with your customers? Same internally. I love the pods you just mentioned and talk about experimenting and so on. However, I'm also going to be cynical here and a bit provocative perhaps as well, Kurt, and I don't think I'm the first one to do that. I could imagine you hear that from your clients from time to time. Where are we going to take the time from to do this? We need to focus on what's really essential right now. Having nice experimentation groups, What are we going to do about them? I could imagine from time to time we hear that perhaps.
1: Yes. So a leader in an organization has to understand that if they're not speaking to, speaking to our customers, by the way, is not not going out there going, hey, we're doing our road trip. How are things? Blah, blah, blah. You know, that's, they're going to, people don't want to insult you. They want to be nice. They'll tell you, this is great. I love the way you're doing this. I love the way you're doing that. And then your customer leaves you and you go, What do you whoa, whoa whoa what do you mean? I just talked to you. You said everything was going well. Ah, yeah. But then, but then you weren't doing this like this. And that company did, and that really worked out better for us. So you have to change the way you think. You, 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 I'm sorry, but if you're a leader of a company and you aren't. If you aren't forming a team, if you're not forming your people to actually go sit down and have conversations with your customers, having tough conversations about, tell me what works, tell me what does not work, and tell me what you would love to have from us if you could. It's called, referred to as shared customer insights. Tell me what you like, tell me what you don't like about us, and tell me what you would like us to do if we could do it. What's something you always wished for and you don't see it? Tell me how a CEO of a company or any leader of an organization would not want to hear from their customers an idea that they could easily implement they just didn't think of. Let me give you an example now. This is not falling in line with the way you you posited the question, but it's still important. I worked with a company... (laughs) It was a major jewelry company might have worked at 18T. And this happened probably 15, 20 years ago, so it's probably not a big deal now. <laughs> Talking about speaking to your customers, they made jewelry in their place. It's a big company. And as they were making jewelry and I don't know what that will, but when they're grinding things and making things, it's spitting out or giving off some raw material. So if they're grinding something down, something's being made into dust and things like that. And it's and that dust has got to go somewhere. And they had it going into these vents. Think of like a capture place. Mm-hmm. It's capturing all this stuff. And one of the employees, now, I don't know if I agree or not, but he realized this and he saw it sitting there and he started taking that stuff and he started selling it
0: wow. and making
1: a lot of money. And he was caught and he was fired. And then that company said, "Wow, we didn't even realize this." And they started taking that and they made it into a an income source. That's a negative aspect into finding things out. But that was a that was an insight just somebody had to you know, happen to do it in a way that was, you know, it was it belonged to the company, right? So it was theft in some sorts. Mm-hmm. But if they were speaking to their people, if they were setting up groups and having conversations with these people, maybe if they were giving them a little bit of a bonus for if you come up with an idea, an idea is generated out of your team, you know, we'll give a bonus or we'll give time off for something of that nature. You might incentivize people to come up with ideas and to be able to provide those. So back to your original question, why aren't they doing it? I don't know. Perhaps they'll listen to this and say, wow, maybe we should be doing that. Because why not find out from your people? Why not get the diversity of thought from your teams? It doesn't mean everything they come up with is going to be wonderful. You can take that list and throw out the ones that will never make sense. That would make sense if they had a billion dollars to invest. But if they don't, you know, put that on the side. Let's go test a couple of things in a, an environment that's safe. And take it further down the road, and what works, you know, works, and what doesn't work, but doesn't work. Google does that every day. Meta does it every day. You know, they come up. Google comes up with a ton of different ideas, and then they decide, can can we go to market with this? For instance, they went to market with those Google glasses. Mm-hmm. They believe it can work, and then the market didn't accept it. So then they put it on the side. Right? They keep coming up with new ideas, and then when market loves it, great. But they must come up with a hundred different ideas. Not everyone works. Why would a CEO not do this?
0: Yeah, and and on top of that, I think Google, Microsoft, Apple, I think it was Meta as well, they even established certain days, hours in the month that they offer to their employees to go and learn, experiment, develop yourself, be passionate about something in order to bring new innovative um, ideas back into the business. I'm not sure, I haven't seen the data, how it is really panning out and how it is working for them. However, I really like the idea of it. However, only, and you mentioned it earlier on, when you also follow up, you mentioned it in combination with employee surveys that indeed happen so frequently. But if the results are somewhere in a, I don't know, data server, we don't access them and we don't do anything about it. And we don't use the intel in case of innovation and the creative ideas. what's going to happen with it? And how do we encourage people to learn more? And to bring that knowledge with them and share it openly in organizations. So again, it comes back to leadership.
1: Yeah, here's a question. So, you, again, you said it. They don't want to take the people out of the workforce. Oh my God, we're going to get something done. Oh, that that will impact us if we don't do this. Great. What's the impact if you don't do it? What could possibly happen by not doing it? So, look, you you can end up coming up with something that completely transforms your company because someone on your team. That's not the CEO has an absolutely brilliant idea about how to do things. So we can take this now to the next conversation of AI, where again, that's all the data, right? You need data to make decisions. Those are all inputs that the CEO can use from his own mind, from his own, you know, AI in his own brain to come up with ways to change things. That data is important. And if you don't. Take that data and and develop it, and model it, and use it. And then you're right you're 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 missing out on an opportunity of of something that could you know could be.
0: And you mentioned we'll, we can go into that when we speak about AI in more detail. And I would like to talk about AI in more detail because I'm pretty sure that our listeners who are already experts in that field. I'm pretty sure there are experts, there are listeners out there who are a bit like me, like I'm trying to find my way through it. But, you know, I'm always surprised when I hear about something new in the AI world and trying to understand what it is. And then there might be uh, listeners, and that's totally cool, who say, I haven't gotten a clue. So it would be great to hear a little bit about your experience and where you have actually seen AI making a huge difference to organisations and how they operate and perhaps give us a little bit of an overview what ai actually is apart from the definition of artificial intelligence obviously how, what how else would you define it <music> Easy to engage on-demand content. Learn more at KathleenMerkel.com/innerprofessional.
1: So, so we probably go backwards into this, right? What is what is AI, and and we'll make it really simple. So, AI has been around for a very long time. IBM days of Watson. It's been around for a long period of time. It's it's the ability for machines to take data, to correlate that data, and provide an output. I mean, that's the easiest way to do it. It's to take a ton of information and to provide a result. I mean, that's what computers do, right? When you're typing things in there. But artificial intelligence, where it's eventually going to, and what people are very worried about is artificial general intelligence, where then the computer systems have the ability to think for themselves. So they no longer need human input to do things. They create their own language. They create their own processes. They do everything themselves and they no longer need humans to help them do it. That's the thing that people get, you know, very fearful of. So artificial intelligence today is just the ability to take a lot of data and to model that data to come to a result or to give modeling results. So it's it's what you said a little bit earlier. If you have all those customer surveys and if they take all that information back, they have a lot of data. What they do with that data is now up to them. Well, typically that person would take it, a team would sit in a room, look at all the results of, of that survey, maybe write a couple of things down, but it probably takes a lot of man hours. And then it's provided to a CEO and a CEO looks at it, or maybe it's the, the HR team looks at it and maybe it's a couple of layers and a CEO looks at it. And it's now been collapsed down into a couple of points that they believe the CEO really cares about. And then he makes a decision or she makes a decision on, does this make sense or does it not make sense for me to follow through on this, this, uh, this action? That's a very long process. That can take a very long time. Even if it's automated, you can have computers taking surveys and it spits out a result to you you know, right away. That's automation, which people deal with automation every day. But now AI takes it one step further. It'll take it from not only an automation standpoint, but it could provide a result to you based on that information. It can give you different information based on it. An example would be the following. I I read a a story, I think it was Northwestern Mutual, a very large 166-year-old insurance company that was spending, I think, between six and eight weeks of going through the um, underwriting whether or not they should provide the policy or not. They implemented AI and they cut that underwriting process from six to eight weeks down to two weeks. Why? Well, it wasn't because it's just automated. I mean, automation has been around for a while, but by putting AI in there, I'm pretty sure, and I don't know all the particulars because I'm sure they don't don't want us all to know it. It's taken massive amounts of information. It's correlating it based on a model they've built. They want to know, say if it's a risk factor, we want to know that Here's the risk you tell us within all the information. Here's the financials, here's the credit, you know here's the demographics, here's the part of the country, here's whatever the criteria is that they have, and they build a model that takes all that information in, correlates that information with the intelligence and spits them back a result that allows them now to make a decision of whether they want to underwrite they po- that policy or not. But it cut out four to six weeks from their process. Now, what does that do for a business? One, you can now probably go through a lot more policies than you did. Does that mean that you're going to lay off employees? Most likely not if you now have more business. Maybe repurpose people now more for the underwriting side as opposed to data collection or looking at that aspect of it. But I'm sure it's going to be better for your customers too. Now they can get a policy much quicker than they used to. Because your competitors most likely are doing the same thing too. So that's an example of artificial intelligence. I'll give you another uh, another um, example, and this one's going a little bit further now. So the you know the yachting team that does the big sailboats and they they do the yacht racing, yeah, they spend by millions in building those yachts. Well, they wanted to understand how best to build that yacht in order to handle all types of conditions and all types of situations that may or may not happen. So in artificial intelligence, that's called reinforcement learning. So what they did was they took that boat, they built that boat and had modeling done that says, here's how that boat will perform in these weather conditions, these waves, this stress on the boat, this, the people acting in this way, the water temperature, the sky temperature, and they keep changing all these different factors. Which you can imagine, that must be millions of data points that can change things. And they built that yacht based on that, and they won. That is the possibilities of what can be done. Did they spend a lot of money? I'm sure they did. Were the you know was the purse you know big enough to to accommodate that? I'm sure it was. And you can read the article on that. It was from a couple of years ago. But I was reinforcement learning from an AI perspective. So why can't businesses do that? Why can't they use a modeling that takes their data and provides them with all these different criteria that if this happened or that happened or this happened, here would be the results. What I like is that humans are now involved in that end decision-making process. Based on this information, Mr. CEO, now you can make a decision based on the best information in front of you where you want to take the business. Do you want to make those investments? Do you want to remove this product from your from your uh, product line? Do you want to repurpose employees in this direction? Do you want to start hiring employees that have this skill set instead of something you were focused on in the past? So I believe just those two examples there, it can provide massive amounts of modeling and information to a business leader in order to make decisions.
0: First of all, I feel like I need to let that all sink in because my brain can't capture the power of what you have just described. I'm wondering, where do they all get this data from? Where is that all hidden in this world of great data answer, and information?
1: Great question.
0: Seriously? That's,
1: that's where it all begins. That's where that's where anything from an AI perspective begins. So let's look at ChatGPT. Everybody's aware of ChatGPT, you've heard of it. The the company's called OpenAI. OpenAI scrapes. The best way to use that, they scrape the World Wide Web. Servers all around the world, they scrape information. They're just scraping up, just like, think of a vacuum cleaner, just vacuuming up all the information. But vacuuming means that they took the information. They didn't take it. They're scraping. They're gathering the information from everywhere. And then the AI model is GPT. They built that model, which now takes the information they scraped and looks at that modeling and pulls the information out and provides you with a result. So if you want to ask about what is the best dog breed and you typed it into GPT, it is going back to OpenAI and looking at all the information that they gathered. And that AI model is pulling the information they have and providing you with a result. That's all it is. So the great question is, where is the data coming from? So in ChatGPT, it comes from the World Wide Web. But specific now to your company, the data is with you. So the question is, where is the data in your company? Where do you have it stored? Is it labeled? Is it tagged? Is it structured? And what does that mean? The best way to explain it, if you know AI, you know structured labeling, tagging, you understand that. But if you don't, think of the analogy of an Excel spreadsheet. If I took Every episode of your podcasts, and I threw it onto the spreadsheet and handed it back to you and said, here's all your podcasts. You would look at it and say like, this is just absolute chaos. This doesn't mean anything to me. No, you have to put columns, you rows, you have to put identifiers, you have to tag it. You might have to say episode one, two, three, right? Here's the person's name. Here's the conversation. You have to structure that data. So it means something. That's what AI would be in the business. The company has to structure that data so it makes sense. And then they could build an AI model that goes and gets that data. And based on whatever it is they built, provide somebody with a result for the following. If you wanted a chatbot in your business to speak to your customers about maintenance, you know, putting a lot of people on the phone in the call center to answer questions is a lot of money. People want to use AI from a chatbot perspective. I think it works great if you have a vacuum cleaner and something's not working or a part is missing because the chat can go back to the product database that you have and the information you have about what you're supposed to do. It can grab that information and provide a very accurate result back to the customer. Your, your, Your vacuum cleaner is not turning on. Here's the steps that you should follow. And then this is what you should do. I think that's very easy. I think the problem you'll have in that sense is if you're saying, no, 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 it's, it's not what I'm saying. It's something else. It doesn't, I don't know what you're talking about. Your customer become very frustrated, angry. This is stupid. I don't want to talk to this company anymore, right? That's a downside to it, but that's what it is. Every company has to have that data somewhere. We work with them to structure it, to label it, to make sure we know where it is. And then the AI model can be anything. It can be, you want to build the best boat, it could be that you want to find out who's the best person in my company that would fit a certain role., uh, it could be let's look at all the people within my company. let's look at their resumes and find out uh, who would be good at gardening because, you know, we want somebody to do to help us out on something in that area. Or it could be let's look at the way we are working through our processes today. Look at the stats. Look at the the data that's coming back in terms of how the machines are performing, how long it takes us to manufacture a product, what the end result is, how many people are saying that there is a defect, how many defects do you catch in a process, how many customers returned the product, how many customers wrote something on social media they didn't like the product, how many people came back again, right? There's so so much information there that perhaps as a leader of an organization, you'd want to see... How long does it take for me to start the product, to get it to the customer? And how satisfied was the customer with the end result? How many people said, I didn't like it? Where in the process was it broken? AI, can you tell me what I should look at from a productivity standpoint or from an enhancement standpoint to fix that?
0: Is that our new way to reduce or even eliminate biases? Because the key rule around biases, our human unconscious biases in particular, is look at evidence select data, make sure you pay attention to every piece of information, not just the one you want to look at. Yes. So how biased is is AI or could AI be, given that Uh, the data depends on us and the data we collected in organizations and so on?
1: it, It could be, I'll answer that. One example of one I just gave you prior, Amazon released AI in their business that looks at all the boxes that go out and tries to find boxes that are crushed before it goes out to the customer. Because if the customer gets a crushed box, they'll be upset and they don't want to do business with Amazon. So there's an example of AI being released and put into a business. So biased, yes, biased, corrupt data, poisoned data. These are all risks of AI and and it happens. So where you get your data from is beginning of everything. So if you look at ChatGPT, it's scraping the web. You can get biased information anywhere because it's scraping the worldwide web. Mm -hmm. It can scrape up information that is biased along with accurate misinformation. It scrapes everything. Mm -hmm. And they had to spend a lot of time looking at that, which I'm not sure how they corrected it, but I'm pretty sure humans had something to do with that to kind of look through what's what and to try to model it that it it may have certain keywords that it doesn't respond to in certain situations, but for chat GPT, it's very difficult in your company. It's a concern, but it should be a little bit easier. What I mean by that is the following. If you're building a model that has access, AI's access to human resources information, you could have yourself an issue, right? Depending upon what it's, what it's pulling from there. And that you'll have to build models and security policies and governance around the information, what's being accessed, what's being pulled, what should not be looked at, what should not be spoken about. And I think you can control it from that perspective. That does not mean the first iteration is going to be perfect. You have to keep iterating. You have to keep changing. You have to keep improving. And you'll have to look at this model in a pre-production environment before you make it full on production to either your end customers or to people within your company. So say you gave it access to HR information. The data scientists in my team have to work with your team around information. What's being pulled? What's the response? Okay, if you ask for this and I change it to asking this way, what's the response? Are we eliminating anybody from asking your know, HIPAA information from an employee that could provide something that is biased or something that should not be discussed? you have to look at it. Do we completely block the system for ever having access to any of that information? Companies can do that as well. AI never has access to HR data, only has access to financial data. You could do that as well. So it does take teams. When you build a model, you don't release it right away. You have to keep testing, retesting, testing the theories. Once it becomes production, you have to continue to test, sample it and make sure that the model is getting better. It's improving. It's not going backwards. And if you get an ins- instance where it's biased, you need to correct it. Find out how it's biased, and if you know, find out the source of it, and then correct that as well.
0: Wow, and I'm glad that there are consultants out there, such as you and your organization and your team, to help organizations with that and with the digital transformation, because there are there are so many areas to consider. However, I also get the sense of excitement and curiosity about it and possibility as well that we can suddenly create while implementing AI into our businesses. And you you shared one or the other success story, but before we, we come to an end of today's conversation, it would be great to hear some of your success stories with AI that you have either implemented together with other businesses you have experienced yourself, so that we all have a more optimistic view
1: sure sure so so there's a lot of different ones there are scenarios where the system had to understand two different languages be able to differentiate between the two languages and to provide a result back to the customer from understanding that language so that's that's some companies need that as well so it could be providing to an end customer where mm-hmm. they may you know know Spanish or Indian or something like that, and they're typing something in, the system has to understand that and then be able to respond to them. So you know, we did that probably a year ago. And there's a lot of companies now that are coming out with more technology around understanding language and, and responses, and they'd be able to provide results back. We worked on a a, a system now, which is probably prevalent, predictive health analysis, where I want to work with Olympic uh athletes where it was looking at how they performed in certain situations and how their bodies were reacting in those situations and then health food input like what they're eating Etc and then how does their body perform and by doing that it was purely from sleep and performance Etc where then they found more information were able to now add on the eating aspect and and things of that nature. And look, I know there's a lot of apps now that are coming out doing those things, but that's artificial intelligence. From a from an email sentiment perspective, I mentioned a little bit earlier. Some companies want to find out with all the emails going out to customers and coming back from customers, what is the sentiment of that customer? Are they happy? Are they unhappy? What is the feedback from those customers? And then how can I take that information for my business and have an improvement, an overall improvement from the customer's business? from the client end, right? How do I improve sentiments from them? How do I have them not upset? How do I have them upset? How do I increase increase the uh, the customer experience? Yeah. And by that, how do I get a return on my investment as well? So the one thing about AI is there's there's millions of different ways to do it. Chat GPT is one. You type something in, it gives you a response. But you could build anything for any business that could be very specific to you. And that's where we help. We come in there and say, what does your environment look like today? What is your data? Your data lake is what you refer to Where is it? What does it look like? Is it structured? Is it not? Do you need help in structuring that? We could do that for you. What can you do from an AI perspective to help your business? Are you looking at cost savings? Are you looking at productivity enhancements? Are you looking at revenue generation? What's most important to you? And then we sit down and talk to them about all the different ideas and ways that in their particular business, how they can impact those areas. And we give them ideas of what they can and can't do. And then the last step is we roadmap out for them and say, Mr. Customer, if you're not ready to do it right now, you're ready to do it in six months. Here's the roadmap. Here's what you look like today. Here's what has to be changed. Here's some ideas on models. You can think through if you have any ideas in the future. And this is what you do to implement it. If you want to go right now, we implement it for you from beginning to end and provide you with a result. At the end of that implementation, we have to stay involved, which goes back to that improving the model, making sure it's providing the results you want. Maybe you have new information. It could give a better experience or a better output than it did in the past because you keep improving and innovating and changing what you had in the future.
0: And the way you described it in the previous conversation we have had in today is it happens in a very customized way. Right. Yeah, you meet your customers where they are, is what I understood. And right. you co-create. You are being the experts where needed. You are handholding where needed, and so on and yep. so forth to create a success story, um, together with them.
1: Yep. Yeah. You have three you have three types of customers, and you said it a little bit differently. The mm-hmm. way look at it is, you have the customer knows everything about AI, may even have some data scientists, but they need us to augment their staff and to help them to roll something out. That's easy. That's what these people do. That's what consultants do. They do it. You got the middle road customer like yourself. I know about AI. I don't know everything about AI, but I know I want to work with it. Please come in and let's start talking about it. Help me strategize from a business strategy and from a technical strategy for me to get to where I want to go. And then you have the third customer, which is, I don't know a lot about it. I'm scared. Uh, I think it's going to become intelligent like Terminator and take over the world. I don't want to touch it. I don't want to deal with it. And that customer is, it's, um, I mean, it's a customer you really can't sell to in the moment or help them because they're not ready for it. But unfortunately, those customers, they're going to be pushing that direction because their competitors are going to do it. So they're going to have to catch up or fall behind. So if you don't know, if you do know, we help you along that journey. We help you through that journey. It's—you uh, ha- You don't have to go on it alone. You don't have to know everything. That's what our team is for. We handhold you throughout the process. So for that first assessment, we call a strategy and readiness assessment. It's a one to two week process. It's really only one week, but if you have to spread it out over time because you're not available to us every day, we can make it over a two week process. And that's when we come back with a nice roadmap of saying, here's where you need to go. Here's all the things you need to do. You'll understand what your costs are. You'll understand what the end result is. And then it gets implemented. And for customers that say, this is what I want, we just get... Uh, become augmented into their business and we help them, you know, develop whatever it is that they want to develop.
0: Well, I think her the most important piece here is that you let people know where they can find you so that they can get in touch with you, ASAP.
1: Well, you can find us at DCT Strategy. So it's www.dctstrategy.com. Uh, you can email me at kurt, K-U-R-T, at dctstrategy.com. Or you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm always posting something.
0: Yes, he uh, is. Maybe something
1: he is. like Kurt R. Stein. That's what I that's what I have it on there. You can reach me there.
0: And he always has some new things to say, to share, um, and teaches you on AI, like me, if you are not yet an expert in the field. Oh, Kurt, uh, you are one of those guests where I have the feeling we could probably add another 90 minutes and keep chatting about this topic, So. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your knowledge and your generosity in sharing all of it. Thank you so much.
1: Yep. Happy to come back if you ever, as it changes in a month or two, and maybe people come back, maybe shared customer insights. They come back to you saying, yeah. Kathleen, we'd love to learn more. Well, <laughs>
0: Absolutely. And oh, maybe they come back to you straight away to say, Kurt, we need you. Sure. Come to you us.
1: Don't, you don't have to do it alone. It shouldn't be scary. Yeah, happy to help.
0: And and that's one thing, by the way, I really, really live by. And that as a very small business, you don't have to do anything alone. Focus on what really gives you pleasure, what you are good at, and do that kind of work. And if there's something that makes you nervous or something where you say, you know what? It's just not my key uh, key competency. Get help, right? The the time you save and the energy you will have to do your work really well. What? I mean, that's already um, a great thing to have and to achieve. So, you you know, good investment is all I want to say. Get in touch with Kurt. Get in touch with me as always. Feel free to send your feedback to us. Uh, Let us know about all the questions you may have. And perhaps based on those questions, I will bring Kurt back. And then we continue this conversation that is so, so relevant. So thank you all for listening. And thank you again, Kurt, for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Have a wonderful remaining week. Speak to you all soon. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendary Leaders podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or my website, www.kathleenmerkle.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you, and how you're enjoying the show in general. Perhaps you have some ideas for additional topics, something that you're truly curious about. Please do leave your review on Apple Podcasts as well. It would mean the world to us. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Take good care. Bye.